outers. I mean, pinkers. I'm Mike Levy, your usual host for what will always be the Pink Bike Podcast. And everybody listening, you're always going to be pinkers as well, no matter what happens in the future. So this is episode 72, and I'm just wondering what the heck we should talk about today. Nothing really comes to mind right away. Kaz, do you have an idea for today's podcast? Was there anything interesting, important, maybe caused a bit of an uproar in the news that we should discuss? I don't know. I can't think of anything. Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty quiet lately. We could probably talk about handlebar sweep, like our yeah. ideal role, something like that. Just a couple hour conversation about handlebar dimensions, I think would be great. Grip preferences or something. Yeah, you yeah, know. really in-depth stuff. I've got yeah. some things to say about grip durometer. <laughs> oh, important things. Okay, everybody. Obviously, the big thing we're going to talk about today is Pinkbike being acquired by Outside last week. Now, we've got a lot to talk about. And while the news was definitely met with some mixed emotions from many Pinkbike users, and that's me putting on my positive hat about the absolutely brutal comment section, I think our little podcast will give us a chance to answer some of those questions and concerns that the Pinkbike community has. Joining me today is Mike Kazimer, who's down in Bellingham, and I've also got Brian Park here, partly to answer some of those tough questions about the future, and partly to make sure I don't say anything too stupid that would get me in trouble. Brian, we knew that the news would stir the pot a little bit, but were you expecting so much anger in the comments? Yeah, I was. Yeah, uh, I mean, spoke to people beforehand and just like, this is going to be this is going to be scary for, for the community, for sure. This is going to be good. This will be therapeutic for me to talk this whole thing same, through. Same. A little bit of therapy. But <laughs> I, I think one of the things for me is that's made me feel better. You know, I take the, a lot of the commentary to heart. But one of the things that's made me feel better is just knowing that people, yeah, fear change and change is scary. And we've it's been an amazing place here for 23 years. So I don't totally, I don't blame people necessarily for being scared. I, you know, I think we'll talk a bit about how. Some of those fears are unfounded and how how I wish there wasn't quite so much negativity. Um, I think some things are getting missed. But yeah, I think we knew it would be contentious. We knew it would be scary for people. And yeah, I I was surprised at the sheer number of negative comments. I mean, there was well over 1600 of them. Usually I like to like the stuff just rolls off my back, but I'm going to admit. <laughs> Got to you. So, yeah, some of these hit a little close to home, you know, like. We're, we're, we're going to get into all this, but obviously, like, the company is more than just a company to a lot of us who work here. So, yeah, I mean, some of those comments I definitely took personal. Um, anyways. I, I, I think I played it right. I, you know, we did the, we launched the article. I, you know, spent an hour or two answering comments and then straight into meetings and meeting all the new team, etc., and then immediately drove home from from field test from Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> and so just like haven't looked at the article since. Appar- apparently it's it's real interesting. So yeah. I don't know. I feel like I said what we needed to say and I get that people were angry. And emotionally, I haven't checked back into that article. So maybe I should have. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's good to keep the lid on that one. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. It was, yeah, I mean, obviously change is scary. But when there's nothing, nothing's changed yet. It was, I was surprised at the reaction immediately. But James, were you surprised? Uh, no, I think I share share everyone else's thoughts here, right? Like, I think, you know, I took it personal too. Like, I think we can all admit, you know, you're not a mountain bike journalist for the money. We do it because we love it and we really enjoy what we do. Um, so, yeah, they, they do kind of hit a bit personal when they're kind of that brutal. But at the same time, like, we love Pink Bike. We want it to do well. So we understand, like, the passion as well, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So as always, none of this discussion is going to be scripted either. It's just the four of us talking off the cuff, off the cuff about pink bike outside and the future. And we'll get to what the news could mean for pink bike down the road. We're also going to talk about that one word that set everybody off paywall. Dun, dun, dun. And no, you're not going to wake up tomorrow to find a paywall on pink bike. So calm your sausage fingers. Let us talk about these things before you light your torches and reach for the pitchforks. So we're going to get into that discussion about pink bike and outside in a few minutes. But first, we've got the boot to my trunk. James Smurthrate in the UK, who's going to tell us about the news over the last week because other things happened. Business as usual, everybody. See, James, I hear Manitou has a new Dorado. Let's hear about it. Yeah, a legend is back, the Manitou Dorado. It's an icon of of mountain biking for decades, and it's had a raft of updates for the first time in years. That core inverted design that it's known for and built its name on, that remains the same, but there are changes across the chassis, the spring, the dampers, and there's now a, a full carbon version back as well. Dan Roberts has a really nerdy deep dive of all the acronyms and a review of both carbon and aluminium versions on site. So if you're interested in all the details, head over there. Um, But I did want to ask you guys, have you got any kind of past experience with the Dorado? And what do you think of this new one? Yeah, I've ridden, I rode the old one, but it's been a a while now. I'd say it's, I don't even know, seven years since I've been on a Dorado. 30 years, Casimir. Yeah, it feels like it's been a while. I remember it felt nice. It did have like, it's definitely not as stiff. That's the thing that always comes up with these upside down forks. Didn't feel quite as stiff as a traditional telescoping fork, but they always had their damper pretty set up. Like their mm-hmm. the damper architecture in there was always really good. Yeah. I had both of the old Dorados, the original one with the smaller uh, stanchion tubes and the, the slightly newer one that had the SPV uh, damping or valving in it. And man, that the original, the TPC plus one, that was quite the fork. Flexiness aside... Um, especially at the time, like carbon upper tubes, inverted TPC plus, it was really neat, not reliable, but (laughs) maybe the new one will be better. (laughs) I always wanted one. I never, I've never owned or ridden a Dorado for more than like a lap or two. And I always wanted one. Kaz, can we talk about inverted forks and steering precision? If they're not stiff enough, why do people keep making them or are they stiff enough? That's a good question. I mean, I think they can be stiff enough and there is, you know, like going stiffer and stiffer and stiffer isn't always the answer. I do think they can help uh, forks track better. I remember I had that, I tried that intend upside down fork a few years ago now and that one wasn't, didn't quite, all right, let me put this into terms. It was a little flexy for me, but I could see the benefits of it also in, in super rough terrain or we really wanted the wheel to kind of like find its own path and not lose traction. It can be a benefit. So for a race fork, um, you know, if you're going to be just hitting like high speed berms, maybe an upside down fork might not be the answer, but I do think that they've, they're kind of figuring out ways to make them the right amount of stiffness. Yeah. I also like the fact that it's just another option besides a boxer and a Fox 40. And I know for a lot of people, Manitou isn't, you know, quite the same level as most of those people, but I mean, TPC plus damping has always been amazing. And I would expect this fork to kick ass personally. And it's, Another option, especially for somebody who can get away with an inverted design. I've always had a soft spot for a Dorado. And I think yeah. a lot of people would love to see this fork succeed for sure. And yeah, and yeah awesome to have a, a moto looking, cool looking, new upside down fork. Kaz, did Dan like it? 
He did, yep. And he's been on the expert version. I think he just got the pro, so he's going to be putting some more miles in on that one. Uh, and he's like we've said before, he's in Champry, so he's got some proper tracks to test him on. And he's going to get all the other forks and do some back to back and kind of really figure it out. I think that's when you notice the most with that being able to go, you know, immediately one run from an upside down fork to a right side up fork and just see, you know, the pros and cons. So he has more articles on the way about that one. So it'll be interesting to see his results. They'll be behind the paywall, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, Kaz, this is the second dual crown we've seen in a few weeks that's claimed to be sort of suitable for Enduro following that Formula One. I think in the past you've kind of said you're kind of not sold on that. Has this done anything to sort of convince you otherwise? No, I'm still not sold on it. I mean, I, I would ride a bike. If a bike showed up with an upside down Dorado with like a 170 or 180, yeah, I would definitely ride it. But uh, as far as having that as my own bike, probably not. But... Man, what a hard life, Kaz. <laughs> I guess I'd ride it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really hard. But I just don't think you need it. But, you know, maybe that application will work well because it doesn't need to be the dual crown. You get the stiffness of the dual crown, but then if it's a little bit flexier than a traditional one, that could find that kind of nice middle ground. Yeah, know. that's that's the question I was going to ask. What I would want to know is like the longest travel Zeb or 38 versus like a 170 or 180 Dorado and how those kind of feel on the trail and what the benefits are. I like I would like to see that comparison. Yeah, because I'm definitely not like the Zeb and the 38 are plenty stiff for me. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not all 150 heavy pounds either, of but, your cast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but those are fine. So I never find myself like, oh, if this is only stiffer, I would be a better rider. But yeah. um, it'd be cool to compare the feel of those. One thing about the all of these dual crown forks is that they have a way lower axle to crown um, because you don't have to have your lower crown doesn't have to be as big. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just designing right now. So I guess we can spoil this a little bit. We're playing around with a with a a lowered custom Fox Forty for the new Grim Donut, and had to definitely do some maths to figure out axle to crown from like a thirty eight to a, a lowered forty. You get more yeah, travel. Because you could run like a 190. Yeah. 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 You could run a 190 fork where you would normally run a 170 and have the same axle crown if that was a dual. Like a dual crown 190 is sometimes the same as a 170 yeah. single crown. So yeah. um, Next up, Norco has refreshed its e-mountain bike range with three new models, the Range VLT, the Sight VLT, and the Fluid VLT. You may notice that that sort of maps on to its normal bike range, and these EMTBs have corresponding intentions with 130mm, 150mm, and 170mm of travel, respectively. Uh, the big shakeup with these bikes is that the batteries are sold separately. So you can pick from three options, starting at a pretty regular 540 up to what I think is, is one of the biggest um, on the market, a 900 watt-hour battery. Um, for context, that allows you to use the Shimano EP8 motors. They kick out 250 watts um, of assistance, so you get more than three hours full whack um, for one charge of battery, which mm. is pretty impressive. Um, of course, bigger battery, higher weight, you have to pay a bit more as well, but um, with all that power, does it matter? So We actually had the Range VLT with the 900-watt-hour battery at the field test, and I'm not, I'm not going to talk too much about the field test. We just got back from it, from all the testing, so... It's also not an e-mountain bike field test alone. Just everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) They're already so mad. (laughs) (laughs) There were regular bikes there too. So I did some battery testing, uh, which basically was riding the e-bikes in full power mode, climbing nonstop until they died. And I had the VLT with a 900 watt hour battery. Kaz, I climbed 
over 7,600 feet. And I think it was something around two hours. Like it was insane. It was insane. <laughs> you can, can crush vert so fast. And yeah, I mean, hey, hate e-bikes all you want, but you can go out for 3,000 vert in less than an hour and be like, oh, that was a good ride. And then. I, yeah. I originally felt bad asking Levy to ride up and down a fire road endlessly for several days on e-mountain bikes but then i remembered how many times he's called people pinkers on the podcast and then <laughs> yeah. it's not feeling bad his punishment has started punishment. <laughs> yeah brian brian for the record i climbed over eighteen thousand feet in seven hours doing the battery testing you didn't finish yeah. that day though uh well the smoke came in and i couldn't see more than 100 feet so yeah, oh, yeah. Were, were you gonna crash climbing up the fire road no i couldn't, couldn't breathe <laughs> i couldn't breathe um, anyways, back to the Norco. I think it's a pretty good strategy because it lets people obviously sort of choose the weight of their bike. The batteries are very heavy for their needs. But at the same time, as soon as people see they have to buy the batteries separately, I think people get angry. So did, yeah. did they think that they get the battery for free otherwise? No, they don't well, realize they're coming, paying for but... it. <laughs> yeah, but it's not for free. It's like for I know. it's not free. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'd be interested to know how they forecast which batteries to order. Like you have to have batteries on hand that many yeah you know i would assume they probably just stocked up on the middle range was it 700 700 watt hours or 720 720 yeah yeah i'd imagine that'll be the most popular one um and i think that that range will be the most like that makes the most sense for most people i think but with um, the 900 watt hour battery cast it weighed just a little bit over 56 pounds and felt like it weighed over 100 (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot. It does add, I think it adds three pounds of weight, which, you know, we are talking about 50 pound bikes, but that's still significant. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what is more popular. But I think I like this. I like the strategy um, just because it would stink to buy a bike and get stuck with a battery smaller than you want. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. I will say that the testers, uh, Matt Beer and Henry Quinney at the field test, they did really like that Norco. So that's all I'll say, though. Hey, I, I'm totally off the back on this. Is the is the range? Does it correspond to the same suspension layout as the as the regular range? It doesn't. No. no. Oh, that's a shame. I I really want to see more high pivot e bikes. I feel like it's such a good use for a bike that can climb up really steep things for it to get longer as it goes through its travel. Mm, but the chain stays are already 462 millimeters yeah. in the range. I don't yeah, but now maybe longer. you wouldn't need them to be 462. I don't know. Well, they, they can't make them shorter because of the motor. They can't make you them can shorter than short. 462 millimeters? You can get them a but little shorter. But you can, shorter. but yeah. on that bike, there's reasons. But either, yeah. This will say this for our e-bike podcast. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> I don't think we need high pivot e-bikes necessarily. There are some coming out, but I don't mm-hmm. think we need them because if you ride just a normal like horse link e-bike, the suspension feels so amazing because of the weight of the bike that... It makes high pivots. You don't even care about them anymore. Yeah. Okay. We've talked about the Dorado, but next up is a very different type of fork. Uh, the Fox 34 aimed obviously not at downhill riders, but sort of your, your trail market, I guess. Um, this is a fork I think often gets a bit forgotten about. You know, people always talk about the bigger, burlier Enduro forks, or maybe the kind of lightweight, sprightly XC forks. Um, but it's actually probably a pretty good choice for a large number of riders. Tops out at 140 millimeters of travel, uses the Grip 2 damper, and was updated early this year with a redesigned crown and also the option of a step cast version. Kaz, you've been putting this through its paces. How did you get on with it? Yeah, I really, really like this fork. Levy's been out testing e-bike batteries, and I've been doing some downcountry riding. So, <laughs> world's flipped upside down. <laughs> but no, I was a big fan. I, 
I got it in the regular version with the grip two damper, so non-step cast. Um, I started with it in a 140. I put it on a specialized stump jumper, and that was pretty good. But then I dropped That's it. It's my to stump one... jumper, Kaz. It got sent back. It's not here Duh. anymore. I know. But then I put it on my uh, personal test bike. I got a transition spur at 120, and in the 120 version, it just felt super good for only having that limited amount of travel. Um, it does everything that I would want it to. I really like that they resisted the temptation to allow product managers to to spec it on like 150 bikes, um, get it all spindly and stuff. Yeah, no, it's this fork is definitely like it does fall into a funny, not funny, but it is a relatively small niche. Like if you're going to go full XC racer person, you're going to want that step cast just because you're going to be counting grams and that one's lighter. And if you're going to go just really sending it riding super aggressively, you want to go with the 36. But for those kind of 120 to 140 bikes, it's very, mm-hmm. very good. Because really early this year i got to ride that fork uh pre-production version back to back against the previous fox 34 and they made some changes to the air spring and the fork felt quite a bit more supportive and more forgiving like in the middle of its travel it was a, it was a noticeable difference between the two forks and they had the same damper in them at the time for that particular thing it was just the air spring that was different and yeah there was a noticeable difference in riding yeah. for sure they yeah. increased the negative air spring which kind of seems like every year that's kind of like the longer slacker thing with geometry but every year the bike or the fork manufacturers say they increase the negative air spring volume and basically that's to make it feel you know more supple off the top more mid-stroke support but in this case, it does work, um, and I think in the review I said it feels a little more plush compared to compared to the Pike. The Pike kind of has a more sporty feel, and this feels more plush, which, to break those words down, it just kind of feels like it sits a little lower in its travel than the Pike, but it gives it that nice small bump sensitivity, but it also doesn't blow through its travel. So, uh, yeah, super happy with that thing, and uh, it's a fun one. Do we know, is it only Grip 2, or can you get them in fit for some people who want fit no they have fit i actually have the fit one right now on the scott spark that i'm testing you probably would and, like it to have a grip too though yeah although i can i can get along especially in a shorter travel like a, a 120 fork with the fit damper doesn't it's fine it does feel better than it has in years past um i still just like the adjustability of the grip to damper though lastly i think we all want to send huge healing vibes to g Aston after his recent crash G called it the biggest of his career, which is quite a big statement. Um, when you think about, you know, his sort of his glacier jump overshoot or that time he kind of rode into a cliff and rampage, like he's taken a beat in. So for this to be the biggest one is pretty mad. Um, he, he sustained it uh, filming a follow-up to Slate Line and Ridge Line and ended up um, elevated hospital, really quite a bad crash. Um, did you guys, did you, did you kind of stomach to watch the footage he, he put out? No, no, no. I watched it. I don't, no. I usually don't watch crash videos. And I was like, I want to watch this. I wish I didn't. It was, that's the most times I've ever seen a GoPro spin around in a circle. Like it's crazy. Yeah. It's not good. And, and the title of the YouTube video was like, geez, biggest crash ever with an exclamation point. And it was like, don't, you don't have to clickbait that. Like it's so gnarly and so messed up. I was like, just don't, yeah. I don't want him to have a crash bigger than this ever again. Like he can't, don't do it. I think this something like this speaks to the difference too between like normal people like us, Kaz, and a professional. And I'm I'm not talking about the crash itself, but I'm talking and also not about the immense skill that he has (laughs) more than us. But after the crash, if I had a crash like that, I mean, you and I both have had crashes that I think we sort of don't forget about, you know, like, and they weren't even as violent as that freaking ragdoll that G had, like. These guys have these crashes, these pros have these crashes, and then they have to come back, you know, where we can be like, well, I'm 
I'm, I'm okay. I don't need to hit that again. <laughs> Brian, I want to test down country bikes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to go slower. <laughs> I don't know. It's a whole part of the game that I think some people, including me, don't think about sometimes that they, they have to get back up, you know, and do it again. I just want to know how he found the people that were willing to stand next to his line to help push him back online if he like started to fall off. Like it obviously didn't work out quite the way they thought, but there was dudes just like standing there to like spot him. Yeah, I didn't even watch it. I have yeah, no I would idea. I have no idea. If G yeah. crashed into me, I would just fall too, and we would both have all of our bones. You would just turn to dust. I know. <laughs> like, he's yeah. so solid. <laughs> he's a rock. And it, it turns out he's not solid enough to handle flying off a cliff into a scree field a thousand times. Ugh. It's so bad. I don't even know. I'm glad he's getting better and walking and just, yeah. Don't I, rush it, G, but I'm sure he will. But, yeah. It gave me some real PTSD. James can attest. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I did not, I did not enjoy it. <laughs> no, scree slopes are not my friend. Although I only I only had the, the two or three tumbles. And I think the worst part about that video is like, you're like, oh, wow, that was a horrible crash. And then it just keeps bouncing and keeps bouncing. And he's just ragdolling down the side of this thing. This is horrible. Yeah. For yeah, a shoot like that, for, sick. for a shoot like that, they, I imagine they would have people, like they would have you know, the Garmin in reach ready or like mm-hmm. they, they would be ready. They might even have medical people on site mm-hmm. depending on what's going on. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but I wouldn't be surprised. It can still take a long time to get a, get a long line off a mountain. Yeah. Brian, your legs still work. Why couldn't you just walk down? Uh, we tried. We tried. <laughs> it was more fun. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't an ideal place to try and walk out of. No, no, no. God, no. Um, thankfully, as you said, Kaz, G's on the road to recovery. He's walking again. He did say uh, in a press release, um, I'll be back on the bike and making more edits before you know it. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I don't see any uh, mention of racing there. Is that a subtle hint we might not see him back on the track? Oh. Yeah, I kind of felt like that's the path he was going down. I don't, Not that I blame him. Like The, the level now has gotten so high. I, like I'm sure he could still do medium well, but I don't. You know, not to diminish his talents, but I just don't see him winning a World Cup anytime soon. I've ridden with him. I know he could still win a World Cup, Kaz. Don't talk shit. He probably could. On the right day, he could. But I just feel like the edit. Like, I like free ride G a lot. Like, the things he's been doing, I'm a big fan of free ride G. So if he wants to do that, that seems cool. And build in his own lines and stuff. Free ride G is really the really the retirement plan you want to work on though <laughs> no that's true. jesus <laughs> yeah like i think I know, atherton bikes be <laughs> yeah atherton bikes is a great project g like yeah i will appreciate every free ride g edit we get out of you before you hang those gloves up but yeah making cool 3d printed bikes is cool too man <laughs> yeah okay um this week's pink bike podcast is presented by bontrager bontrager just released an all-new se6 tire their most aggressive trail tire to date along with completely revamped se5 and xr5 tires both with all new tread designs bontrager offers a complete lineup of mtb tires with treads and casing options all lined up in a simple naming convention that makes it easy to find the right tire for where and how you ride Check out the new tires and learn more all about Bontrager's MTB tires at trekbikes.com. So we have a rule about ad reads that we don't talk too much about the the product after because then some brands get really like, why didn't you talk about me or or whatever? Um, We just want a level playing field. But I do want to say that I wish more tire brands did what Bontrager does when it comes to 
the naming and lineup and the like information architecture, you can actually tell what tire you want to buy in what compound you want to buy it in. And it's, it's a, a lot more approach. simple than the 10,000 SKUs that other brands have. <laughs> I also practice really hard to pronounce Bontrager right. How would you, bon- how were you saying it before? I was Bontrager before. Uh, oh, that's, that's an old wrong. podcast. I wish you said it that way in the ad leads. <laughs> Bontrager is the correct pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. That's when you're talking about the premium products, yeah. the carbon one piece yeah. handlebar. Bontrager. <laughs> All right. We're going to skip the usual Q&A section that we move to now that we have in most Pink Bike podcasts. Because we're eager to get to this big discussion and because that's basically what we're going to be doing for the rest of today's episode. There's all sorts of questions and concerns to answer. So last Wednesday, news broke that Pinkbike had been acquired by Outside and it's definitely been our most commented on press release ever. So currently there's well over 1,600 comments, closer to 1,700, most of them very angry. There's a lot of concern and anger in those comments. And I'd argue that some of it is certainly justified. Um, I think the PB community is a massive and pretty special thing that isn't really found anywhere else. And a lot of people are worried about losing that. Brian, I think I put myself in that category as well. So I want to get off the fence and I want to start this chat with a question that everybody is wanting answered right now. And because I love putting my boss on the spot, to be honest. Oh, great. Brian Park. Will there be some sort of paywall? And what might it look like if there is one? Uh, I really don't like saying I don't know. <laughs> but I, um, <laughs> definitely there will be some change, some sort of membership model. I think the timeline for these things is going to be slower than people expect. Yeah, Outside is, is a big company and they're going to take their time to figure out the best way forward on this. I don't want to make any promises I can't keep, but I do think it's unlikely that a hard paywall on, on content is coming. Um, you know, that's going to be a lot of my life for the next uh, few months is working with the outside team to figure out what we're going to do. Honestly, I know it's a big concern for people and I want to be able to commit a few things. Like, for example, one thing I want to be able to commit, I'm not committing yet, but one of the things I want to be able to commit is that, you know, content from the community, user-generated stuff, videos from athletes and stuff wouldn't ever be behind a paywall. I don't think that that's fair. I also think there's lots of ways to add value on like a membership program that isn't just saying like pay us, you know, um, in the same way, when we added video to our content, my goal is going to be to add stuff to what we do today to convince people to join up in a membership. Is that a nebulous enough answer for you, Levy? Well, I mean, I think that everyone appreciates the honesty, like right at this point, we don't know a hundred percent what is going to happen and we're just being honest. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, at some point in the future, there's going to be some sort of change, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's upsides to this too as well. And one of the big ones that comes to mind for me, Brian, is that we would be less dependent on advertising dollars. Can you touch on that maybe a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we're in a pretty privileged position in that advertising dollars don't really impact a lot of what we do. We have some sponsored posts, um, but we're not... I don't think we're as beholden to advertisers as a lot of people maybe imagine and certainly not as beholden as a lot of other mountain bike media. There's some websites are pay to play. Some are pay to win, which is even worse. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. It feels like I'm talking trash on that. I don't necessarily blame people for making sure that their employees are have a job. The media business I think is a lot harder than people think. 
And I'm as much as I don't, I don't like it when fairly shady (laughs) companies or companies that are pretty gray area and ride that line throw stones. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't love that. I get all grumpy about that. But on the other hand, I I don't, I think James, you've talked about this before about some of the realities at, at dirt as it was going through its, its issues, like. It's it's a hard decision to go like, oh, I'm going to keep my integrity, but nobody can get paid. Like, everybody's yeah. fired now, you know? And it's one thing for editorial staff who are kind of very much in that mindset, but like, what about your, like, accounts department? What about your, you know, maybe even your sales department or someone like that, you know? Like, you've got to think of the bigger picture sometimes with these things, I think. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say, one of the weirder things about all the comments and all of the, you know, the hubbub surrounding this over the last week is to have so many people talking about your job and to have thousands of people discussing your job and mm-hmm. and your worth basically on the internet when it's like all of us that work here do this because we love mountain bikes so like we don't hate mountain bikes all of a sudden now we're not just yeah. it's just kind of a weird thing just to people almost saying that we're sellouts and you know whatever that i understand all of the uh the concern about needing to pay for content but like the core group of pink bike we're all still here and we're still going to keep making cool stuff and we're still passionate about it so i think that like maybe give us a chance instead of just being like, I'm out. Like, Oh, things might change. I'm going to leave. I've been with you guys for 10 years, but now you suck. It's like, you just said that we were great. Like, so that's what I was frustrated with. You know, just, I, I, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen either, but I want to still keep doing, let it all out. Let it all out. Kaz. No, that's it. Like, it's just kind of weird. I just was like, when people are so ready to, to jump ship right away, like stick with us and like, see what is going to happen. Cause I think there is potential. And since we don't know, I mean, it's also the internet. So you can just like click a different tab and look at a different site and then come back. Like you don't have to only look at one website. Like I don't <laughs> I look at all the websites. So it's real easy to surf around. So like I only look at this one website cause the other ones are like not worth it. I don't know. It's funny. Yeah. I was, I was definitely disappointed in this, the, the hive mind attitude. Like I understand the concern for sure, but there was just some like blatant attacks in there that seemed out of line. Uh, you got to forgive them. You got to forgive people. You, people no, grow up with Brian, pink bike. We were we were heading in a positive direction, so I yeah, kind of we want to steer it. Sorry, I derailed it. I opened up some sour grapes there. Yes. I, don't, I, I, I need some so, therapy. You know. Although we, I don't think we're act. We were never all that dependent on advertising dollars in, within the editorial team. I think that the perception will be better, and there will be a cleaner. Uh, separation of church and state, both for readers reading and for sometimes adver- advertisers get surprised that we aren't the same thing as some other media they work with yeah it's it's crazy these people posting shit with their websites literally are pay to play like you know anyways okay <laughs> jesus positively be positive <laughs> we're yeah. gonna be positive brian, Deep breathing. <laughs> let's let's talk about some upsides here brian mm-hmm. one of the things that you and i immediately were excited about Mm-hmm. testing facilities yep yeah so there's a whole bunch of things that i can't really talk about yet but we're definitely looking at some of the testing rigs and doing some bench testing improving our facilities not that we want to not do empirical testing i think lab testing that happens at some places is kind of useless without real world but i think having some you know objective data is always nice to add into the mix. Um, so we're going to have some more resources for that stuff. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Hopefully we can give them cool names like the Smashy Master 5000 or something. Yeah. They sure. have to be German names for like, oh, yeah. you know, das German Smashy Master. Master. Yeah. <laughs> the Smashing Meister. Head to the <laughs> lab. Yeah, we go to the lab. <laughs> this one will produce 23 funds. <laughs> 
we're also working on more studios, all sorts of stuff that is going to just help us make better content in the future, more and better content. Um, we might be expanding the team. There are there are some upsides to this. Yeah, we are expanding the team, and we are we do have some more ambitious projects that we want to take on. That it's really nice to have an organization like Outside behind us for this kind of thing. Like we can we can look at some of these projects, and rather than going, oh God, that's too big. Let's let's do something easier. We've got resources to to dig in. Yeah. Um, right. And one that one thing I want to pro- say for sure is there's also more secure jobs for the team. And what gets lost sometimes is that like Pinkbike is the community, but Pinkbike is also a job for the people on the editorial team. And for example, we have a global team, and some of our some of our people have been contractors rather than employees because it's difficult to set up um, entities in every country. And so now we'll have a lot more ability to add to the team. They can get mortgages easier and, and there's more room for career growth at a, at a bigger organization like this. So definitely some more stability. Like, you know, we love our jobs. They are incredibly fun. We're very lucky, but all of us want to grow and improve and move forward too. So I think I'm cautiously optimistic about what's happening there with outside. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say the paywall word again, mm-hmm. Sorry, everybody. And I want you to talk a little bit, Brian, about how a paywall might change our approach with content. We might not have to look or be as dependent on clicks and numbers and more sort of what we want to do, which in turn might be what you guys want to see as well. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about that for a minute? The things I don't want, I really don't want to lose that community. It's so cool to have so many people engaged with everything we're doing. So whatever we do is we don't want to lose the core of what makes pink bike pink bike. So again, I don't know what that looks like. Does it mean that, that some bigger projects go behind a paywall after a certain period of time? I don't know. Maybe just take a moment to define a paywall. I feel like some people have just heard the word and now they just post it under everything and don't even actually know what a paywall could look like. Just take a quick moment. Like people might not even know what that word means. Well, so, you know, in the olden days, there was this paywall where you had to pay to get a magazine. (laughs) But yeah, the, it's a subscription to content, like any other subscription to content, whether it's Netflix or Spotify or whatever. Brian, we haven't been making free content for the no. last 23 years. In a way, the content outwardly, it has been free and mm. we're sort of like a drug dealer. You made a good analogy there, didn't you? Yeah. I don't know. I've got a lot of time for the community that is nervous because change is scary and we've we've hooked people on free content for the past 23 years and this community and now and now the dealer is somebody else is taking over the supply and so the junkies are nervous and i get it i'm a junkie too but yes it isn't it isn't free it's paid before with advertising dollars and you know we've found i think a really good balance over the past 23 years with that and having you know a certain amount of sponsored content and just thankfully having a large enough community to sustain the things we want to do with traditional advertising. I don't know if that's sustainable forever. There are more and more. I think I can talk a little bit about, should we talk a bit about the media landscape? Yeah. Cause I it's, think that would be things good. Things have changed a lot. Things have really changed. And I think one of the things that is really happening is the advertising model is, is changing and more brands are less willing to do things that aren't just waxing poetic about my product as a, in a pay to win fashion, 
which we don't do. So, I, you know, hey, we can change. We could have gone down that road too. But I think that's one of the things that I like about this new model is to not have to just uh, do pay to win YouTube content. Yeah, I think I can talk about like some of the difficulties, I guess, like being at dirt, being in a situation where you're trying to kind of fund yourself with with just advertising dollars and you're kind of um, or pounds, as we call them. Um, and you're just kind of not big <laughs> enough to sustain that. And um, the pressure from advertisers becomes more and more and more and greater and greater. And like, like I said, like we had to do some things that I don't think we would have talked publicly about at the time, like pay to play um, reviews, for example. Um, and we were bought out. I, this isn't my first rodeo, you know, I've been through this before. Um, but that was a bailout. That was you know dirt sinking towards oblivion who can save us put a little cash in and you know they kind of strip it out to the bare bones um and it's a pretty horrible when when you guys when you guys got bought Mm -hmm. what was day one like day one um maybe not day one but certainly month one was mike rose getting fired and like i know steve jones was like the public face of dirt you know everyone knew the steve jones reviews and the videos he did but like behind the scenes like mike rose editor-in-chief like absolutely huge figure in the british mind bike industry and he got cast aside kind of within a month um soon after that like steve jones left his own cord he went to go and do embn um and then like a 24 year old took over as editor-in-chief um because i was cheap (laughs) yeah um And then that got sold again. And the day after it got sold again, um, the whole thing got shut. And they just kind of stripped it out for um, for parts, basically. And um, it's just dormant. They own the IP, but they're not doing anything with it now. So, um, you know, and Dirt's not the only brand to have gone down. Um, Dirt Rag went down last year. Bike Mag, obviously. Don't know if that was end of last year or start of this year. Um, all closed kind of in the past three years because they potentially couldn't adapt and grow and change um with how things are are moving in in kind of media at the moment and i guess you know you've had like the bike boom there's a lot of interest and obviously um people are interested in it like look at um what discovery did this year you know like they kind of swooped in they bought a stake in um the ews and now they through gmbn have exclusive coverage there so you know i think i saw a lot of comments about like uh, why do you have to grow? Like, why can't you just stay doing what you're doing? I think because like, if if we're not doing that, we we stand still and kind of go backwards because other people are, are overtaking us, right? So, if you haven't noticed, there's a hundred percent a proxy war going on between Discovery and Red Bull right now, and all mountain bike media stand to get squeezed there. Um, and this will give us a little bit more muscle in that fight. Not that we wanna, we we wanna do our own thing. Um, but I think it will help us not get squeezed. I think the the one thing that gets me to is growth automatically being viewed as bad. Like people want us, I mean, PB was never, Pinkbike, honestly, we were never the cool website and I'm not the cool guy. Kaz, neither are you. Neither of us are the cool guys in the bike industry. <laughs> Sorry to uh-huh. break this news to you, <laughs> but we've never, we've never tried to be that. And we want to just make the cool stuff, you know, and not be the cool people. And that means that we need to grow. But as soon as you get to a certain size, I think this has always been the case for PB2 because we have been the the largest media outlet. Mm -hmm. 
people haven't liked us specifically for all sorts of reasons, but <laughs> that's one of them. That's probably one of the reasons, you know, we're the big guys and that means we're automatically not cool and growing is a dirty word. But Brian, it, I mean, that's not how the world works, is it? <laughs> no, I, I think James nailed it really that um, why do you have to grow? Well, we live in the system we live in. It's, we live in a capitalist world and you either grow or you, you know, think of all of our colleagues and friends at other media publications over the years who have constantly been concerned for their jobs. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, it's always been a, well, it's been a shit show for, for them. And often it's been, well, almost entirely it's been because their titles weren't willing to grow and change. I think one thing that people looking from the outside to Pinkbike don't really realize how small of a team it's been for most mm -hmm. of the time. Like, you know, I've been going on 10 years now. Levy's been here for like 14. But when I started in like 2011, 2012, it was basically me and Levy and one other person doing Shout everything. out Tyler like, Main. Tyler yeah, Main. Tyler Main was the, the news person. But like I would wake up at four in the morning to watch the World Cups and put their results up right away. And like things yeah. like that. Like now, luckily, we have someone else that gets to do that. And just being able to like spread out the workload and have more resources. I think it's growth is helpful. It means that I get to sleep at night. So mm -hmm. I'm a mm -hmm. fan of growth when it's in that kind of way and just being able to dive deeper into certain projects. But yeah, from the outside, it's easy to think pink bike. It's this like giant entity with like just hundreds and hundreds of people working there, but it's always been relatively mm -hmm. kind of small tight group of people. Yeah. Cause I was, I was the third employee. So like, I know that the commenters are angry about the change, but like, dudes and dudettes just imagine how i feel like this is this is a big change it could definitely be a big change kaz do you remember your job interview we actually did it in a tim hortons yeah I was in chilliwack yeah my job interview i drove over the border met you and carl in tim hortons and i think the question was like oh you have a college degree cool uh <laughs> Okay. Me. <laughs> and that was like how the, that was like how the interview went. It was so informal. I didn't know if it went well or not, or like, it was funny. And I didn't even know like what pink bike headquarters would look like. And at the time, I think we might've gone to the office then, but the office was just in its like it a tiny little, you mean the little rough. It was like Chilliwack a, office, a Chilliwack office, which was an apartment slash office. So like people's beds were like one door away from where the office was. Um, yeah. So super informal and small, but it's been really cool to be part of it for this whole time. To, like, I'm proud of what it's turned into. Yeah, me too. It's it's insane. And we did mention Tyler Main there once. I just want to give a shout out to, to T because there were years when this website would not still be here if it wasn't for Tyler Main. And and look where we are now. You know, we've grown yeah. to become this thing. And Tyler Main was a massive part of that. And yeah, we just I don't think we'd be here without him. So we've gone from this like small, little, unorganized thing to what it is today, we made plenty a massive of massive unorganized thing. <laughs> yeah, now we're figuring that unorganized thing. <laughs> yeah, we, we made all sorts of mistakes along the way, but I mean, here we are, you know, now we're bought, we're being bought by outside and things are going to change. Brian, we're going to talk about some comments in a minute. Um, first, I, this, you didn't know this question was coming. I want to ask you a year from now, what would you like pink bike to look like? I don't want silly rounded corners on all of our and weird drop shadows on the homepage. That's, that's my wonderful question. And maybe Radic right now is like, oh, what? Yeah, what? Radic got I'm a cold or shiver somehow. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Radic. Would be real good. Um, yeah. Um, in terms of content, what would I like Pink Pike to look like? I mean, there's a ton of individual projects that I think 
we have talked about and, you know, going racing and all those things. I, my hopes are that everybody ha- is stable. Um, people are more, they know what their day looks like a little more right now. We are as much as we now have people that let me sleep at night. Thank you, James and Ed and co over in, in Europe. There's definitely still, we still are on the agile side. I want us to not lose that, but I also want us to have a little bit more work-life balance for sure. Mm-hmm. In terms of the content, I, I want us to stay our irreverent, timely, uh, shit talky selves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think we have to be, that's, if that isn't there, then I think we lose momentum. I hope we can turn some of these, I hope we can add some value, add some bigger things to pink bike. I'd love to do some of that testing. Um, I'd love to have a few of our series be absolutely massive. I think we'll, we'll be looking to add a few people in the, in the near future, both on the editorial, like the technical side and on like social media, etc. Does that answer your question, Levy? Yeah, that all sounds good. That, you know, change, but without losing the core, growing the tent, but not, uh, but not necessarily moving it. Okay, let's let's talk about some comments. We've already discussed the paywall. We've defined it, and we've also said we we've don't... decided what it is, right? Yeah, we're done. Yeah, that's Check it. Mark. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Starts tomorrow, everybody. <laughs> um, and we've we've explained that you know we don't know what's exactly going to happen. There's probably going to be something like that, but it's not going to be all the content and so on and so forth. But we'll let you guys know. Brian, I also want to discuss the sellout comments. Can you, I can't talk about it because I'm just going to get angry. So can you talk about it? <laughs> Carl and Radek have worked their asses off for 23 years. Well, Carl for, what is it? 14 years and Radek for 23, mm-hmm. something like that. Sorry if I got that wrong, Carl. <laughs> and I, you know, Pinkbike is a community uh, first and foremost. And I, I do feel a certain level of responsibility to the people that have helped make it what it is as a community, but it's, it's also Carl and Radek's life in their business and they should take it wherever they would like to take it. Um, and they're still involved. Like they, if it was a real sellout, they would check out. I'm, you know, Carl has a huge new role taking, he's responsible for all of the cycling titles under, under the outside umbrella. So his job got harder, not, this is not a selling out and cashing out type of gig. <laughs> um, yeah, not so much. No. And um, so I don't know. Does that? Yeah. I don't know. Sell out, selling. I, it's just I think such this a weird. Is, yeah. Th- this is how it works. You build, if you start a business, you build a business and not everybody wants to build a business to sell it, of course. But I mean, most people, when you start a small business, you dream of building something that becomes worth something. And then when the time is right, you sell it. You know, you, it's, this is, this is how the world works. And that's especially true if it's a tech company um, involved with the internet. You know, we're not, Pinkbike was never a little fruit stand on the side of the road. That was never the goal, you know? Um, I just thought of a good analogy to Santa Cruz. Yeah. You know, I'm sure some people are like, well, Santa Cruz is different now. But Santa Cruz, I think, made incredibly good use of the investment from Pawn. Um, when they got purchased by Pawn, Pawn did right by them and they haven't lost who they are. They still employ amazing people making excellent bikes. They still, I still feel like, oh God, I sound like such a Santa Cruz Homer, but I honestly feel like they, like the thing that they made their name on really like 
is still there. Yeah. And yeah. I know that when, when they got sold, a lot of people were scared in the comments. A lot of people talked a lot of trash. A lot of the industry talked trash too. And it was interesting seeing a bunch of people at bike brands I know were also vying to be bought by Pawn were now like, oh, fucking Santa Cruz. And it's like, yeah, it's full sour grapes. Yeah. So, yeah, don't necessarily put too much stock in the naysaying uh, from from some industry people. I, I there are a few people who who's there are a few people who've made kind of snarky comments within the industry who like their brands have literal paywalls on products. And it all comes back there. We're going to keep making cool stuff. Like our jobs, if we just regurgitate the same thing every day, our individual jobs be super boring. So we're always looking for more interesting ways or the latest thing or just projects that keep us engaged and entertained. So that's not going to go anywhere. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think we can keep doing it. You're right. I, I want to talk about our community because that's really, I'm trying to, I'm trying to turn it. Calm down, Livy. Everybody take a deep <laughs> breath. I know. No, it's... I'm being positive now about about our community. And I mean, that's the only reason that we're here is the zillion people that come to PB and comment all your guys' ridiculous comments, good and bad. We usually love them. Like, you know, I, everybody who's talking about leaving, I hope you give us a chance because we're going to make some great stuff in the future and you're all welcome back. Except for that one guy who called us fucking sellouts. You're not welcome back. I banned you forever. (laughs) The thing I really want to get across is i don't like i don't begrudge the negativity and the and the kind of preemptive outrage but it does kind of get me down and it makes it harder to do our jobs like i i james you and i were talking about this before but it really killed me to see that hattie harden story go up you know she's an absolute beast on the bike she has an amazing result we do our jobs and follow up to do a a getting to know story on her this should be her like big moment as an EWS racer, like Lord knows it's hard enough to get to, you know, break through. And man, I was so disappointed to see people not engage with the story at all and just use it as an opportunity to, to like hive mind talk trash. And it's like, ah, like I feel so bad for her in that moment because she's worked her whole life for this. This should be. Yeah. So I don't know. There's plenty of things we don't know. We're cautiously optimistic. I'm not saying that things will never change or that, that, there might be some changes that don't make people happy, but uh, yeah, honestly, we're pretty optimistic about this whole thing and we're going to give it a shot. And I hope people can move beyond the, the preemptive outrage and the pot shots. All right. That is it for our discussion about pink bike and outside. Um, so if you guys still have questions, comments, put them down below this podcast and we'll try to go in there and answer them for you. Try to keep them somewhat positive i get the concern but yeah somewhat positive would be nice i forgot to say i think one thing i'm i do want to commit to is i'm going to try and do an update as soon as possible just about a a near-term roadmap that like we said way too many times in this podcast we don't have all the answers but i know people are looking for them and um, i'll try and get some as soon as possible yeah, people are invested and in, the community is invested yeah. and I think yeah. people deserve to know the things when we find out the things. So we'll keep you guys in the loop on that front. Let's end this with comment gold, just like usual, just like all the other Pink Bike podcasts. Our first one is from Benny Max Plywood Homemade Bike. This is from PB user Farty Marty. He's one of our favorite users. He says, but would you want to ride it? 
So this next one is from Glazed Ham. This is on Kaz's poll about how often you need to repair your mountain bike clothing and gear. Glazed Ham says, I repair the soles of my shoes every five to ten days. Also har har. Man, I think it's pretty good. I, I really like my five ten shoes and I haven't had this issues that other people claim I, they have. I haven't either. I have a pair of five ten shoes that are over fifteen years old. And granted, I don't wear I don't <laughs> Flat use Flat Pedal Master Levy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're just like new, everybody. <laughs> All right. Our next comment gold. This is on Carson Storch breaking his collarbone when he jumps out of the helicopter. Uh, the rotor downwash just kind of caught his bike and pushed it to the side. We don't want to see anybody breaking anything, but Noah Colorado, another PB user, says, seems like they could have waited to wash the rotors until he landed. Were they super dirty? Noah, you're very clever. Yeah, Noah's also good a, with the puns. Noah's a good, a good, Noah's one of our favorite industry people. He's always got funny things to say. Yeah. Mr. P. Uh, the next one and our last comment gold, we're going to wrap up podcast number 72 with this. This is on Henry Quinney's insert impact testing article. Todd Ball says, this is a long one. You got to stick with me here. Todd Ball says the latter two plots, impact resistance versus weight and impact resistance versus price would be more effective as scatter plots. Example, plot impact resistance on the vertical axis weight or price on the horizontal axis, label every point with the particular insert it represents, and then put the whole article behind a paywall. <laughs> so I, I want to give a bit of background on, on that comment because I had just argued with Kaz about the plot graphs before before we published that article. And I was just, I had said exactly that, that like I think for that one graph we could, like doing a price to performance ratio would be better to do it in this other like in a different format of graph. And so I read that article or that comment and I was so smug. I was feeling so smug about it. I was like, yeah, see, this guy gets it. And then I got to the end and I fully got Rick rolled. So I couldn't, <laughs> yeah, couldn't even be mad. It was good. Todd ball one, pink bike zero. <laughs> All right, everybody. That is it for the pink bike podcast. Number 72. We hope that we answered some of your questions, alleviated some of your concerns. Like I mentioned earlier, Put those comments down below and we'll get to them. We'll see you next time.